But it is really, it isn't the showing up. I'm sure this works for some people. I'm sure it does around the idea of doing webinars and talking to, you know, doing the actual work, the coaching work. And, you know, like this is how I'll get you here to there. I, I thus far have not done that. I have just showed up as me being an activist and me being a mom and me just trying to be a person figuring out how, how to, um, to be happy and to be loving and to make the world a better place. And as one of those iterations of what I do, I do coaching. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 28 of the Coaching Life podcast, where we peel back the bull crap and brush away any photoshopping to give you an unfiltered look at what it's like to live a coaching life. I met today's guest at a Steve Chandler event. Well, that doesn't make the guest particularly unique. I think I've said that a number of times, but I think she is pretty unique. She has a wonderful energy about her. And um, I'm sure that will come across in our conversation. No pressure. Um, She's a wife, a mother to two young children, uh, an activist, very much an activist, a writer, a speaker and a coach. I've got no idea how she fits that all in. So let's find (laughs) out. (laughs) Let's find out. There's a big warm welcome. (laughs) So a big warm welcome to Leah Ann Mallet. Hello. Hi, thank you for having me, Phil. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for taking the time. So um, I'm going to ask my very typical first off question, but I get a sense we might talk about non-coaching stuff perhaps um, a little bit more. But what got you uh, interested in the coaching profession and what got you into the coaching profession? I have a very funny story about that in that, I had I was an executive director of charities for almost 20 years because I had been an environmental activist and I started out as what they call a radical direct action wilderness activist. So I risked arrest. I sat in a tree for three days to protest clear cut logging in British Columbia and, you know, led blockades and then um, moved into, you know, a more. Um, a role that was more in the community as executive director of two different organizations. And when I had my children, I was running an organization called Ecosource, a charity, and I had put my all into that organization. And I had my kids in my 40s, so I had no idea what I was getting into. (laughs) No idea at all. (laughs) It's like, oh, if I could do this, then I can do that. And it's like parenting is not like that. Parenting for me was, it, it still remains the most beautiful thing that I am doing and the most difficult. Mm-hmm. So I stepped out of my executive director job. I had been with my organization for 10 years. I really self-identified with it and with my role in the community. And, uh, and I'd grown the organization from a staff of three, including me, to a staff of 17. And it was, you know, really blooming. And I also realized that my daughter, Ruby, who at the time was three, I was on the phone one day because I had brought her home from daycare and then immediately had to start working again. And she looked at me and she said, do you ever put that thing down? She was three and my son Noah was four. And I just thought to myself, like, that where on the priority list, where, like, I, I was just trying to do everything. And so I stepped out of uh, my role as executive director at Ecosource, spent a summer just with them, with Noah and Ruby, with my kids, and could not believe it. It's like, wow, this is what life is like when I'm not torn into, you know, like trying to run my organization, trying to be a good mom and not doing well at either, at least not feeling that way. So I heard, was listening to parenting podcasts because I was also really struggling with how to be a good parent. Because I found that one of the things that astonished me is how angry I would feel in my parenting. My kids are both very, um, I guess they would be called spirited, 
<laughs> big personality children just like me as a big personality adult and I found myself really frustrated and really losing my temper a lot and so in one of these parenting podcasts there was discussion of becoming a parenting coach and how easy it was to have a part-time job run your own business and make all of this money um, while you help people become better parents what could be better oh, right? sounds perfect Yes. And so I went through a nine month training course um, for parent coaching. And then um, and it, it was it was an interesting experience. It was a challenge because the person that I trained with was somebody that did one of those massive pivots um, in their business that ended up feeling to me really unethical. And so I did go through and complete that coaching. And then put out my shingle and could not get going. I just, I just did not, I don't, I don't know if I didn't know how to get out there or, and it was also completely other to the last 25 years of my life where I was, uh, I had been a secondary school, high school teacher. I had been an addictions counselor with heroin users. I'd worked with street kids and I'd been in the nonprofit sector as well as a wilderness activist. And suddenly you know, as I'm starting my own business, I start something that I know almost nothing about, which is parenting, other than that daily on the front lines. And, you know, like, I still don't know jack about parenting, right? Like, they school me every day, and yeah. I don't think I have the temerity to actually coach people around that. But um, but I did end up going to an intensive, an intensive with Rich Lippin, and I was coached on the stage, and I was one of those people that went to the front, you know, with the, the big eyes. And it was my first ever experience. And, um, you know, we talked about, you know, my stuck, you know, that I had presented, I had sent in some information about the fact that I felt stuck in my business. And rather than discuss that, he asked me to read out the list of things that I had written where they asked for achievements. I remember I was there. Yeah. Yes. I remember. <laughs> and I was horrified. I'm Canadian, right? Like you don't sit there reading out your achievements in front of a group of people. And uh, and afterwards, what what he said to me that stuck is, why would you set aside 20 years of activism and leadership experience and take on something completely different to do as a business? And I was kind. Of, I thought. I don't know. Like I just, for some reason, I felt like I had I had moved to a different lane. So when I moved back, when I started my actual coaching business, which would be, I guess, a couple months after that, it was very much focused on leadership. And um, initially, the notion was working with people in the nonprofit sector, except that I had this wonderful bit of amnesia where I forgot that I had led in the nonprofit sector every service person with we don't have much of a budget. <laughs> so what can you do for us? That is always what I led with when I talk to people. And uh, so I did, I have done some work in the nonprofit sector with mission driven leaders. They're oftentimes their budgets, unless they're with large organizations are very lean. And then I started attracting more people, particularly most of the people that find me find me through Facebook and through podcast interviews because I do a lot of talking about activism and about how I feel about the fact that really what we should be doing is creating more love and connection in the world. And that tends to attract people who, um, I attract a lot of people who are introverts and who want to be able to either get their business out there or do something that requires them to be more visible. And they see me and say, you got this visibility thing down. How do you do that? And I also um, was starting to attract other beginning coaches or people that are um, feel like they're stuck because there's just something about my mojo that people like. Mm. So that's really, it has been, a lot of that has just been people saying, I like the way you show up. How do you do that? And that's how it's been. It has not been one of those big revelatory, I went and, you know, sat in a mountain for three days and, you know, didn't eat or drink and then came back down and, and all of a sudden people were flocking to my... <laughs> my that would be cool, wouldn't it? Yeah. That'd be awesome. But it has been... Um, it. What I would say about the whole coaching 
experience for me is that I did enter with a very distorted view of what it was going to be like. I was told by the person who um, I initially trained with that it was going to be easy, that it was perfect for moms with small children, that it was that you could charge a lot of money right away. And um, I realized once I was in it, as I struggled to do that, um, I realized, I suddenly thought, maybe, maybe that wasn't right after I tried to do it for a while. <laughs> where, where were those first clients coming from? And are you, I don't know if you are able to share sort of the, perhaps approximately the kind of fees and whatever and, 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 and really how that process um, of, you know, people finding you now, how, how that has changed and developed. You know, people find I, I one of the things that I'm really good at is connecting with people mm. because I adore people. I love people. I really, really do. And I am always, you know, the, the people that get on the bus and then somebody else gets on and they are clearly in some way different than the rest of us. They're singing at the top of their lungs. They're only wearing a little bit of clothing. Those people are going to sit with me. I know that. That is who I am. I, and I'm okay with that. I'll talk to them the whole way on my trip. And so I, um, most people that find me either find me through events or through Facebook because I just enjoy being on there and I'm pretty well connected and because I made friends with a lot of other coaches. And it tends to be now, like it can be anything from other coaches who are really, who want to hear a really open and honest conversation of what it's like to start a business and other entrepreneurs who are just starting their businesses. And I attract um, some activists who are just trying to stay really energized in, um, in the nonprofit sector, at least here in Canada and North America, which tends to take activists, put them in the nonprofit sector, and then beat them to death. <laughs> <laughs> So they straggle off to do something else. And uh, I also attract a fair number of creatives who are trying to figure out how to set up a structure for a business, become visible, and and create something that they can um, that can really sustain them. But a lot of it is around visibility and how to get out there. Yeah, and I've actually experienced that. Like I mentioned earlier, that we met. I think it was a Steve Chandler reinventing yourself weekend yes. that we actually. Yeah that um and i've I, actually I, I when i was looking earlier today i found a picture of there's uh you jason goldberg and i uh, yes uh, maybe i'll publish that picture with with this podcast perhaps i mean i i looked at the picture and i thought oh my god because i actually weigh about 35 pounds more there than i do now so that's i know cool. and um maybe I'll, I'll publish that so i i get and it's it is kind of indescribable. You do have this kind of energy, really easy to connect to. You're the kind of person that you know your people are going to want to talk to you. They're like they're, there's just some energetic thing going on there. So that aside, mm-hmm. what is it you're doing elsewhere that has? Do you think that people, you know, perhaps on Facebook and whatever you, what are you what are you doing? Because we use this term, oh, I just show up. I know. What does that mean? To <laughs> what you? does that mean? What does that mean to you? <laughs> Um, one of the things that started really connecting people to me is I um, I really appreciate, there's a wonderful writer named Charles Eisenstein. He's written a number of books. The last one was The More Beautiful World Our Hearts Know Is Possible. He's a visionary for a new world. And so I um, jumped into a program that he was doing online that was Pay What You Can. The base cost was $25 for a three-month program. <laughs> and you could pay more if you felt like you got something out of it. He's, he's a very beautiful spirit. Mm. And one of the experiences in that is he said, rather than um, we often rush through our lives, particularly once we have children and we, are, we work and are in relationship. And he said, rather than seeing things as coincidences, I, I, I ask you, I invite you to see things as signs. And it literally changed everything for me. And one day I was, a dry, I dropped my kids off at their lovely Montessori school and I was driving up this road that is the bisector of these two um, cities that are side by side. I live out in the suburbs outside of Toronto. I'm like a suburban hockey mom now. I'm like a suburban (laughs) subversive out here. And I was driving up this road and one after another, 
three deer ran in front of my van. And I, at the time that I was driving, I was actually thinking that the entire family needed socks. Everybody had holes in their socks and everybody was upset when they put their socks on in the morning. Because <laughs> it's like, that was what I was thinking. And these three deer, one after the other, ran uh, across the road in front of me. And rather than thinking, oh, that was pretty or, oh, you know, whatever, I stopped the van and I got out and I followed them. I became that person. <laughs> I'm the crazy lady that walks through farmer's fields near my kid's school. And I started writing about it. And I have I had no experience in writing essays or stories or whatever. And I, have, uh, I am a recovering perfectionist. So I was terrified to put anything out there because I figured that there, there's a right way and a wrong way. And if I hadn't taken 15 courses and beaten all the creativity and beauty out of it, then I didn't know how to do it. So I wrote something really quickly about this experience, and I actually wrote it in a PM box. And I was writing to a young man who had been on Charles Eisenstein's uh, podcast with him, and he was a, um, a veteran. He was a very in his 20s and had been a veteran from Afghanistan. And he had shared this beautiful story, and that was part of what influenced me to get out of that van. And I wrote it for him, and I sent it to him. And he wrote back, and he was really deeply moved. So I, I stuck it on, um, in this blog, on this online blog site, and I just put it out there. And then I just started writing all the time. And a lot of the people that approached me, it's not from Facebook advertising or it's because they read these really, really personal stories and that's how they see me. And it's not talking about, you know, how to be awesome or it's talking about um, feelings of being lost and being disconnected and, you know, the, the beauty of uh, just the beautiful ordinary. That's what I call it. They, my blog, if it is a blog, is called Becoming Undomesticated. And the whole idea is that that everything, everything around us is beautiful. It's ordinary and it's beautiful. And to me, that's what's that's what moves me. And that's what started to really connect with other people. And I I was at an event and this woman came up to me and she said, I love your blog. And I said, I don't have a blog. <laughs> And she said, you know the thing with the pictures, because I take pictures, they're photo essays. You know the thing with the pictures and the stories? And I was like, oh, right, right, yeah. Like, and I honestly, I just put that up there to, to show myself that I could do something. It didn't have to be right. It was just their stories, and they typically, initially I was writing with photographs, because that's what moved me, because I was taking pictures of the deer, just to um, to prove to myself and my kids and my husband that I had seen them. And also so that since I was standing out in the middle of this farmer's field, that I didn't look completely insane. <laughs> if you're taking pictures, <laughs> you've got to cover. If you're just standing there, you know, it's uh, I, I now am just as comfortable doing my roaming, as I call it, um, with or without my my camera with me. But that's that's how people started to see me. So there's a there's a kind of obvious question here, well, obvious to me, listening to your, you know, crazy stories. <laughs> Is what kind of people um, are are coming to you, and what are you coaching them around? The most recent people, the most recent people I've coached with, and I I coach in blocks. I will I will do a run of coaching and then I will stop um, because I do other things. Yeah. So I, I I know I think that's that's not allowed. Well, <laughs> the coaching. It looks like it is to me. Yeah, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that. I was going to come to that perhaps after this, but yeah, yeah. I I coach in blocks. So my last coaching block was um, September to um, July. And I worked with clients over that time. And I had a client in Abu Dhabi who's this wonderful woman, a, an educator. And she was looking, she was doing a really brilliant thing. She had a wonderful job and she was planning to become a, a coach one or two years down the line. 
So she was, she had her gig and she had a really good gig and she was planning to get married. And she said, what do I have to do now to build a foundation for myself if I want to transition a couple years down the line into this work? How do I set up these structures? How do I get comfortable becoming visible? And it was really refreshing because um, she wasn't in that place where, oh, you know, I just dumped my awesome job three months ago and now my life is ruined and I'm trying to figure out how to start my and business. And I've got no money, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, Tony Robbins, I blame Tony Robbins for that. As much as I, I went to, I, I did the pilgrimage to unleashing the power within this summer. I will say that. You can have that. whatever you want. <laughs> yes, but what he said that I think really... It works sometimes and not others, and I think any anything is like that. But he said, you know, if you want to take the island, you have to burn your boats. So what people think is if I, if I want to change my life, if I want to get a new job, if I want to start a coaching business, I have to toss everything out and be forced to do so. And I think, that's, I think that works for a very tiny group of people, and for a lot of people, they just end up they're they're between the island and they're burning boat and they're in deep water and they're flailing. But um, so she was doing something really brilliant around um, planning for a new business a couple wow. of years down the line. Yeah. And I worked with another woman who had been um, in the coaching world for years and had only only done it um, only been coaching as a volunteer. So she had been doing a lot of work with various other. Um, coaching organizations providing um, her services as a you know support person and couldn't figure out how to ask people for money. That was her challenge is that she was, and then I worked with a, a woman who was um, in the entertainment industry, in the TV industry, and really wanted to start writing her and creating her own television show. So we talked about what that would look like because my husband's in the entertainment industry. He's a sound designer for um, film and TV, and particularly in children's television uh, television shows. So um, she met me through his realm. And so what she was trying to figure out is, I'm in an administrative role and I wanna shift into a creative role. And almost everyone had something where it was, how do I take this courageous step? And they knew what the step was. They knew what it was. And it's just, how do I take this courageous step? Mm -hmm. and, and those are the kind of people that I was attracting, I think, because it looks like I take courageous steps all the time and <laughs> that I'm, I'm doing giant, <laughs> which maybe I am, but, um, but that I make it look easy, which it isn't. Mm. And uh, so yeah, those are the kind of people that I was attracting and almost, um, all of them through um, Facebooks and um, for at least, I think all of them had um, read my stories. That was it. And a couple of them had heard, I worked with a woman who has become an author and she had heard me um, do a podcast interview and just just enjoyed what I had to say and how I said it. There you go, showing up, showing yeah. up. <laughs> yes, but it is really, it isn't the showing up. I, I'm sure this works for some people, I'm sure it does, around the idea of doing webinars and talking to, you know, doing the actual work, the coaching work, and, you know, like this is how I'll get you here to there. I, I thus far, have not done that. I have just showed up as me being an activist and me being a mom and me just trying to be a person figuring out how, how to, um, to be happy and to be loving and to make the world a better place. And as one of those iterations of what I do, I do coaching. Hmm. So let's look outside of coaching then, because as I said, a wife, a mother to two children, an activist, a writer, and a speaker. How <laughs> on earth do you fit that all in? So I get you've said, you know, the last time your coaching ran from September to July. So why was that? Why, why, why have it that way? Uh, because I was driving myself mad. You can't fit it all in. That, that is the other bit of nonsense that I was told. And I've been told a lot of nonsense, as I'm sure you've been. <laughs> I'm 52. I've heard a lot of nonsense. <laughs> and I believed a lot of it, too, because I'm very friendly and open to suggestion. But one of the nonsense bits I was told is that I could have it all. 
And, you know, certainly um, when I had my children, they were babies, and I had my executive director role, I did not want to give that role up. It is not, um, or at least the story that I've been told and the story that I have is that it's not easy to get those executive director roles. And when people get into them, they tend to stay for a long time, as I did. I was in my role for a decade. And so um, I pushed myself. When I left my nonprofit job, I weighed under 100 pounds. I'm almost five foot seven. And I was really unhealthy and I was really unhappy. So, but I had pushed myself thinking I have to keep this job because what will my identity be? If I'm just a, just a mom, there's that just a mom-itis where it's like if you're just at home parenting your children, somehow you have, you have given away everything, which I think is, is another thing that I, I'm constantly challenging with myself and, and with everybody I know. But um, what I... What I learned is that there's no way that I can have it all. And this idea that I can have a seven-figure business and that I can be an international speaker and that I can have this, you know, um, stable of wonderful clients who all adore me and I can also make sure that my children have mittens because it's cold today and that I have the occasional conversation with my husband, those don't all fit in the same time frame. And so what I, um, earlier this year, one of the things I've been really interested in doing for my activism is expressing some of my ideas or one core idea in a TEDx talk. And I realized that I, you know, I was sending out these applications and I was also, I had clients and I was, you know, doing my parenting and, and, um, and I was getting almost selected. You know, like people would say, oh, you know, like you were so close and, you know, runner up does not get you <laughs> a talk. Right. And and what I realized is it's like I cannot I have to focus on this thing. If I want it, I have to set everything else aside and do this thing, because um, the, uh, a, a talk of this magnitude could not be you know, uh, shoved in after the kids went to bed and, you know, before I crashed or, you know, at five o'clock in the morning when I endeavored to get up and try and do things. So I um, wrapped up with my clients and then I focused just before that, I started, sent out a couple of applications and I was really fortunate that I was invited to a live audition. So, and that's where I shine is connecting with people live and I was selected to speak at TEDx Santa Barbara and so I said to myself um, I have to focus on that and before what I was doing is I was trying to do a little bit of everything and it was making me feel really unhappy and I had to really think to myself um, you know there is this idea of leaning in right like the whole Sheryl Sandberg thing it's like you know women have to lean in the reason that we're you know we have to do everything all at once and and um, I had to lean out because I felt really over capacity and I was I was uh, pushing that energy into my family life so I now am doing my best even though I'm a I am an enthusiast of many, 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 many things. And I have to say to myself, um, I have one large project at a time. And it kills me. It kills me to do that. But in terms of my work, I do one large project because I have a life project. I have my children. Yeah. I have my husband, my family. And that's another huge project. And that can't be shoehorned in to the rest. So that's that's what I do now. And it requires more discipline than I ever thought was humanly possible because I am the kind of person who wants to do everything. I, you know, I want to be a death doula. I want to take, you know, a course that's, you know, some, some place that would take me six months to complete. I would like to, you know, speak at this. I would like to attend that. And, um, and I have just had to say to myself, and I think that it's fair and beautiful to say, I don't have time for everything. And that's not a lack. That's not scarcity thinking. Uh, I get do that. You know Some I mean? people do see that as like a failure. Like I should yes. be able to handle this. I should be able yes. to do all this. I should be able to keep all my shit together in my two arms here. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, and I think that that's what I was told as well. Oh, don't don't be don't use scarcity thinking. If you think abundance, <laughs> like you can have a thirty-five hour day, and it's like, no, you can't. <laughs> no, you can't. Right? There's the time-space continuum. Like you know, yes, you can. There's different ways of looking at time, but at the end of the day, we need to sleep. We need to. I get my. I get up, and my mission. Um, from 6.30 a.m. to 8.30 a.m. is to get my children happily dressed into school. And I pick them up at 3.45. And after that, my mission is to be with them and guide them until they go to bed at 9 o'clock. And there's only so much time between there. And I have to say to myself, in that beautiful sliver of time I have, what is the thing that I want to do the most? And And that's it. Yeah, there's a there's a great book um, you may have read. I won't put you on the spot and ask you if you have read it. Um, but a mutual friend of ours, actually, Mark J. Silverman, his book Only Tens. Yes, um, yes. Oh, a, I have a copy. I have a copy on my hard drive. All right, it's a, <laughs> <laughs> it's a fantastic book. Uh, exactly about this, where you know you find yourself attracted to lots of stuff, lots of different things, and um, yeah, just working on just the tens, just the tens. Mm-hmm. And it can feel, I will tell you from a woman's perspective as the mother of small children, it feels like I have worked with people where they've said, well, why aren't you working on the weekends? Why aren't you doing your business at night? And it's like, that that's not why I started doing this, is um, to work even more hours. It was like, I did this, I create, I'm creating these, this business, I'm doing this work, to have more time with my children and my husband, not less, right? That, that wasn't the idea. And so it's been a real struggle because I, I was an A student, you know, I was a scholarship kid and I come from a blue collar working class background. And the idea is you work hard, you do your best. And for a long time I was really really pushing myself. I did the hundred, the first way that I showed up in coaching is I did the hundred coaching conversation challenge. You know, that book, book a hundred conversations in what, like 30 days or something. I did, I was doing four, three to four coaching conversations a day, two hour conversations that I, and I did that for over a month. Now it was beautiful in terms of getting coaching experience um, and uh, and it almost killed me in terms of um, being available to my family and it it was I didn't find for me that it was also creating a lot of paying clients so it was a great experience but it wasn't um, it certainly wasn't feeding into my business the way that I thought it would there's a fascinating i don't think it's a paradox as such it is kind of a confusion and illusion really because um i I still see it i still see um and and no doubt we come across clients actually like this but i've got a friend who i know is very often very very driven you know wants to create this massive successful business and then she does have times where she suddenly remembers actually you know i think i would just love to be taking my child out for the day and i remember i mean my son um, bless him he's 26 now but um he was really really into football all through his all through his childhood he still is um <clears throat> and pretty much every saturday would be football saturday mornings and mm-hmm. there were some mornings where in you know i i never like particularly complained to him um but i would notice my thinking occasionally i would tell myself he is never ever going to be the age he is today, no. he's never, ever going to be that age again. No, no. And that's one of the things that I find profound about either being a parent or being in children's lives yeah. is you look at that person, you're never going to see that person again. They, they change every single day. And yeah. for me, there's a certain amount of time that I'm willing to sacrifice for my work. And I, and I love to work. If I, you know, in another, in another lifetime, there's a Leanne that all that she's doing is working 60 hours a week and she's happy as a clam and, you know, is, is an individual and doesn't have responsibilities. And, you know, there are moments where I think, oh, I just want to get this writing done. I want to get this talk done. I, um, and then I think to myself, I look at them, I bring myself into the moment 
And I look at these little people that I have helped create. And I think it's, it's going to be gone this flash. I have a great example of that with this TEDx experience is um, I, I'm really pushing myself because this is a very different way of speaking that I'm familiar with. And it has been uh, an enormous amount of work. And we have Halloween here. And I am the queen of Halloween decorations. And as of the day before Halloween, there is nothing. And my kids said to me, who's going to decorate the house this year? And I just thought, like, I am. Like, what am I doing? Like, there's, and it's constant course correction. Like, I've never got it figured out. I'm always course correcting because it's suddenly, you know, all of a sudden something will hit me. And I will realize, oh, all those things that I say about these priorities, I've completely forgotten. I, I like it's it's always a process for me of forgetting and remembering, forgetting and remembering. But I do course correct as much as I can with the idea that right now I've committed to these children. I've committed to this family of mine. And how can I yes, I want to continue my activism. I want to get my ideas out in the world. I want to have a thriving business. I want to make a difference. And one of the most profound ways that I make a difference is through loving these kids and loving their dad that's big and not and the fact that we do not attribute that as an achievement it really makes me sad in in our culture it's seen as an afterthought it's funny because i've been writing a piece um around mission because uh had somebody say to me uh, a few months ago I'd really want I wish you had like a bigger mission for you and that you would express that out into the world and I've always considered um for me I heard Tony Robbins we mentioned Tony Robbins and interviewing Deepak Chopra once I think I've already mentioned this on this podcast once before where he asked Deepak Chopra what's the purpose of life and Deepak says you know straight away it's the expansion of happiness uh, and I really took that on board and I exp- yes. I've expanded that a little bit. I think, well, the purpose of life is expansion of love and happiness. Yes. Um, they're, they're pretty much the same thing. Um, and I think I see that actually as my mission, right? To bring mm-hmm. love and happiness in all of my interactions and whatever it is I'm doing. And I think to myself, when this person sort of said this to me, I wish you had a bigger vision. I, th- I just thought, is there a bigger mission? Is there a bigger vision and mission How than the expansion a- of love and happiness? <laughs> No, no, and how can we? How can we? We ever know what our children are going to do, either. What impact they're going to have in the world? So I'm like, I, I, I'm not really interested in the limelight. That might be apparent, you know. Um, um, but I love supporting people who want to be and who want right. to create ripples. And I'd, I was very happy to support this person, actually, in what, what she wanted to do. She did want to mm-hmm. do that. She did want to be on the stage in front of thousands of people and change the world and whatever. And I think, well, I want to be part of helping that to happen. To me, that's like, that's my vision. And I think yes. we, we so often overlook that, that, you know, you've probably heard this before. We're not just bringing up our children. We're bringing up our grandchildren. We yes. have no idea of the impact we have as no. parents or teachers or uncles and aunties whomever it's huge and I think I think one of the things that I um that really grates with me is this idea of you know stop playing small (laughs) and it's like why why there is nothing wrong with playing small if that's where you feel that you are you know creating love and you are connecting with people and you're putting something good out into the world not everybody is wants to play big and there's nothing wrong with like it's just this idea of to me the ordinary versus extraordinary and i'll tell you when i when i work with um beginning coaches what i will find is that you know when they write their content i only work with high achievers i you have to be extraordinary or don't call me and i'm like like why like what's wrong with working with people who um have a a challenge that feels ordinary what is wrong with working with people who um, want to have better relationships or just want to feel better when they get up why what is wrong with that like that's almost everybody 
And it's uh, to me, I have a real resistance now to that idea of, you know, I um, I only can play big. I I don't want to play big. I want to see the beauty in the ordinary, and I want to appreciate everyone I meet, and I want to be able to go out into my front yard and see beauty in the way that, as an environmental activist. I used to see it was the it was the equivalent of only playing big. I had to be out in a 500 to 1000 year old forest, you know, taking a, you know, standing on a logging road before I felt I was being useful. And I only thought of uh, beauty in undisturbed wilderness. And now I see beauty in my backyard. And I think that if we all had that feeling, the world would be a lot better place. So I don't but I do think I spoke to somebody recently who asked me if I work with young activists, you know, like beginning. And I said, yes. And she said, oh, you know, I would have thought you'd only be working with senior leaders. And I said, why? Why? Why would I only work with senior leaders? I want to see the next generation come up. I want to learn from them. I want to be able to pass on what I've learned um, to them. And so that about, I know, and again, I, I don't want to judge others in the way that they approach things, but this idea of, you know, to me, it's what is extraordinary? What does that mean? And I think that anything can be extraordinary. Looking into one of my child's, you know, children's faces, that is one of the most extraordinary experiences I can have. You know, that, uh, you know, just just having a connection with somebody, a client, or and really having you know one of those the mind melts that's extraordinary they don't have to be the president of a country they can just be an ordinary person like me beautiful so time's passed pretty much quicker than i imagined it has so you know i'm gonna ask you just a few more questions because i want to honor your time as well as that of our of our listeners so i'm wondering we didn't get to talk too much really about the activism. I've got this burning question. I'm, I'm just going to ask it. Okay. It's yeah. like when you're staying in a tree, when you're like, you know, you're camping in a tree, do, do, you, do you come down to pee? I didn't. I was, uh, when I did my tree sit, it was, um, I, I had a relatively short tree sit because I was arrested by a Royal Canadian Mounted Police climber who came up to me. And, um, but no, I, I sat on this little platform for three days with a little bucket that went down wow. and came back up wow. with a very loving partner at that time who helped me do that. Oh, cool. <laughs> Which kind of leads me on to another question I wanted to ask. So, so who or what has influenced and supported your coaching the most? Mm. That, oh gosh, that's hard. In terms of, in terms of people in the world um, in, around around my activism, because my activism and my coaching are like this. Okay, there was really that moment when they were, yeah, now they're very intertwined. Um, Charles Eisenstein is an enormous influence to me. Marianne Williamson is an enormous influence to me. I think that um, that she, in terms of being able to embody activism and and love and the fact that I was trained as an environmental activist to get rid of all that woo. We were to talk about economic development and, you know, values that were very practical. And I have come full circle round to the woo. And so she's very inspiring to me. Um, I work with a writer activist named Bio Akamalafe, and um, he's very extraordinary. He does a program called We Will Dance With Mountains that is um, almost indescribable. So he's, he's amazing as well. And I, you know, certainly my, uh, in terms of inspiration, it's, it's my husband and my kids. And, and my mom, my dad passed away nine years ago, but my mom and dad were the people that set me down the journey to become an activist because they were, my dad worked on the line at Ford, my mom was a stay-at-home mom, and they helped anybody they could. And so, you know, if my dad was driving along and saw somebody with car trouble, he stopped. We helped people that needed helping. We always helped where we could. And that has, that created, there was a point in which my mom said to me, because I did, I risked arrest, I've gone to jail for what I believe in. And she said to me, like, how did, how did this happen? How, how did you end up like this? You know, coming from a small town. And, and I said, it was, it was you and dad. 
right? It's the idea of doing good where you can. And that, again, does not have to be everybody getting onto Oprah, right? It means right. doing what you can every day. And that, to me, is, uh, is really what sustains me, is the idea of looking around and appreciating the people um, who are immediately here and, and people that I see, people like you, who are leading with love. I think that's, I, I, I'm pretty tired of the achievement piece. I, I know it's valuable, but for me, um, the idea of saying to people, I hear that you want to do that, and what will that bring to you? Why is it that you want to do that? And I even see my son, my son is nine and wants a YouTube channel. Why? Why? Because he thinks he'll make more friends that way. Hmm. Right? Like everybody I think is striving for connection. And we just interpret that in different ways. So, uh, you know, those, those people and that idea of just, I'm, a, I'm inspired by everyone I meet. Yeah. I think that everybody that's here is... Um, is 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 an inspiration in one way or another yeah and i really get that about you it's beautiful so um finally then if you had a whole bunch of coaches in one room who were perhaps in their first couple of years of their practice mm -hmm. what would your message to them be my message would be that you build steadily and it takes sustained and focused like it's the elbow grease component um, and there's nothing wrong with charging reasonable fees to normal people. They, they, you do not <laughs> really. There's so many people out in the world that do not have $100,000 US to work with somebody for a year, right? Like that's, that is a rarefied bubble. And I think there's plenty of people out in the world where you build your practice gradually over time and that, um, that you find wherever you can to find joy in it. If you're not enjoying this work, if it, if it, uh, there's, uh, and there, I think there's a distinction between, you know, the work it takes to create a business and feeling unhappy or feeling overstressed. And if you constantly are feeling under pressure and unhappy, look at that and question it and say, is, is this for me? And if not, and the other thing I would say is, um, do something for a good period of time before you give up on it. We, everybody's constantly pivoting. They try something for two months, and if it doesn't work, they switch to something else because there's this feeling of that we have to keep throwing spaghetti at the wall. You know, Choose one or two things you do really well and you love doing and do them for a while and see who you meet. I think that, that that to me is is what I wish I had heard early on. Hmm. Well, Leanne, you mentioned Marion Williamson and mm -hmm. you know, probably her most famous quote, but right at the end, she says, As we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. And you are certainly an example of that. It's been an absolute wow. delight talking to you today. And I really hope the listeners get a, a sense of your incredible energy that, that you do bring, it seems, to everything that you do. So thank you for taking the time today. Thank you as well. It's always a delight. Well, isn't Leanne amazing? Such a beautiful energy and enthusiasm for life and all she does. She's very much a dedicated and devoted wife and mother above all else. And her activism and enthusiasm for life and humanity shines through. A few points jumped out for me. Um, she had that big insight at the coaching event. I was there too. I witnessed that where she came to see she did not have to abandon all she had done and achieved previously to become a coach. In fact, she does bring all of it. She brings all of it now. And people love how she shows up. We use that term so often, don't we? And Leanne demonstrates what that means, for her at least, and the magic that can occur just by doing that, showing up. I love how she described just putting it out there, her personal stories, sharing what's real, even the feeling lost and disconnected. Of course, we all feel that stuff, right? What she calls the beautiful ordinary. Love that, love that. 
I also liked her realism. This is what I mean by brushing away the photoshopping of this profession. She said there was no way she could have it all. She talked about how she was trying to do everything, spread herself too thinly. My goodness, how many of us have done that? She had to lean out rather than lean in from being over capacity, like reorientating herself and putting her energy into her family life first you know she's an enthusiast of many things but one major project at a time one major project at a time i love what she said her family is her life project which can't be shoehorned in can't be shoehorned in you know she also said it's fair and beautiful to say i just don't have the capacity for everything it's not a lack it's not a failure we don't have to give ourselves a hard time about that you know one thing that's a great leveler is that every single one of us has 24 hours in a day that's it no more no less she also touched on like the bullshit of playing small you know creating love connecting with people putting something good out in the world is that small? Um, personally, I think that's like our greatest mission, right? To the to put love and and help sh and help spread joy and happiness in the world. What she talked about the ordinary versus the extraordinary. Doing good where you can does not mean everyone getting onto Oprah. Simply just leading with love. That's certainly what I'm all about. And did you notice Leanne is inspired by everyone she meets? Also, that little tip at the end there about building a practice. Build it steadily. Don't be afraid to charge reasonable fees to normal people. Absolutely. We don't have to jump ahead of ourselves and aspire to that photoshopped image of the hyper-successful seven- or eight-figure coach in our first year. It takes time. And there are plenty of people out there that will benefit from what you have to offer. Okay, so I hope you got some useful stuff out of this episode. I love the conversation. If you're enjoying these and finding them useful, please do head on over to iTunes, leave a brief review. It will take you less than a minute and it will help other people like you find this podcast and find people like Leanne. There we have it for another episode. Thank you once again for listening. Until next time, I wish you much love and joy. Bye.